0: Are you looking for a word from God today? If so, First Baptist Dallas is glad to present this dynamic message by Dr. Robert Jeffers. Dr. Jeffers is a premier Bible teacher, pastor, and author whose practical applications of God's truth help guide and encourage those who seek to know and follow the Lord Jesus. I know you'll be blessed. And now, the message by Dr. Robert Jeffers. In an article entitled Grave Matters, the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright wrote of an interesting article that appeared on Palm Sunday 1996 in the London Sunday Times. It was an article that declared that an archaeological discovery had now shaken Christianity to its very foundation. What was that discovery? In Israel, in a family plot, so to speak. There were a number of ossuaries, bone boxes is what they are, that had some interesting names on them. One had the name of Mary, one had the name of Joseph, one somebody named Judah, and there was a bone box with the name Jesus on it. Oh, they were so sure this was the smoking gun that proved that the resurrection was a myth. Now, of course, all those names are familiar names in the Middle East. There's nothing to suggest that it belonged to the family we know. But even if it did belong to them, so what? I have a grave reserved for me in Van Alstine, Texas, but I'm not in it. Uh, Just having a place for your future burial doesn't mean anything. But what they didn't realize was... By pointing out uh, this uh, bone box discovery, they were actually making an argument for the resurrection instead of against it. Let me explain what I mean. In the Middle East, there was a two-step burial process. When somebody died, uh, their body was wrapped in spices to prevent a premature decay of the body. And the body was placed on a shelf in a tomb, just like Jesus was It would take about a year for the body to completely decompose and after about a year, the relatives would come and collect the bones and put it in an ossuary, a bone box, so that the shelf was clear for the next family member. Now just think about it. If indeed this bone box were for Jesus, it would have meant that after a year after his death, somebody would have gone back to collect the bones. Can you imagine what that would have done to the Christian movement if after a year, just as soon as Christianity was getting off the ground, the bones of Jesus were discovered, it would have destroyed the Christian movement from the very beginning. There were no bones in that bone box because there were no bones left behind. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he was raised bodily, literally, not just spiritually. Now, not everybody believes that's a big deal. If, for example, one scholar was talking about why he didn't believe that an empty tomb really mattered that much, he said, I think the resurrection of Jesus really happened, but I have no idea if it involves something happening to his corpse. And therefore, I have no idea if it involves an empty tomb. So, I would have no problem whatsoever with archaeologists finding the corpse of Jesus. For me, that would not be discrediting of the Christian faith or of the Christian tradition. The Apostle Paul begs to differ. He says a literal bodily resurrection is the core of our Christian belief. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Why is an empty grave important? I want to share with you this morning briefly five reasons an empty grave matters. First of all, an empty tomb verifies the truth of scripture. It verifies the truth of the entire scriptures. Back in 1993, a group of pseudo-scholars that called themselves the Jesus Project came together to decide which parts of Jesus' words could actually be attributed to Jesus. They were going to deconstruct the gospel accounts, and you're not going to believe how they did it. They rented a hotel room. They put a bucket in the center of the room, and they took each of Jesus' words and voted on whether Jesus really said them or not. No evidence, just what they felt like. And so uh, they read a verse, and if they said, oh, Jesus definitely said this, love your neighbor as yourself, they would throw a red bead into the bucket. If they read a verse and they said, well, Jesus could have said it, that got a pink bead. If they thought, well, Maybe not. It got a gray bead. And if Jesus said something they found offensive, like I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, they said, oh no, Jesus would never say that. That got a black bead. They tallied up the votes, and guess what they discovered? (laughs) Only 18% of Jesus' words were really Jesus' words. That's how they voted. No evidence, just their own prejudice. Well, This group, which by the way, included pornographic filmmaker Paul Verhoeven, they got together again two years later and decided to vote on the acts of Jesus. Which things did he do that really happened? Was there a virgin birth? No, no virgin birth. Did he perform any miracles like feeding the 5,000? Absolutely not. What about the resurrection? A hard no on that one. What was their reasoning? The reasoning was, that would involve the supernatural, and there's no such thing as the supernatural. One of the participants, John Dominique Crossan, said, I do not think that anyone, anywhere, at any time, brings dead people back to life. Or another participant, Thomas Sheehan, said, Jesus, regardless of where his corpse ended up, is dead, and he remains dead. And yet, throughout the New Testament we find over and over again the prophecy and the declaration that Jesus rose from the dead. In Acts chapter two, Peter stood on the southern steps to the temple where some of us will be in a few weeks and preached the first sermon in the history of the church. He said, but God raised Jesus up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it's impossible for him to be held in its power. Verse 29, I, Peter, may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and he was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. We know where David is. We know where his body is. Verse 32, but this Jesus, God raised him up again to which we are all witnesses. It was the central message of the newborn church Jesus prophesied in John 2:19. He answered to them, Destroy this temple, this body, and in 3 days I will raise it up. In Matthew 16, 21, the Bible says, from that time on, Jesus began to teach his disciples how he must go to Jerusalem, how he must suffer at the hands of the elders and chiefs and scribes, and how he must be killed and raised up on the third day. Jesus prophesied it was going to happen. You know what's interesting? Even Jesus' enemies knew that a literal body Resurrection—that that was essential to Christ's message. How did they know that? Look at Matthew 27 verses 62 to 64. Jesus died on Friday. He was buried before sundown on Saturday. Notice what happened. Now on the next day, Saturday, the day after the preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate, and they said, "Sir." we remember that when Jesus was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I'm going to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body away and say, he has risen from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. Now, if Jesus meant by resurrection that his spirit would go to heaven. How would anybody know if that happened or not? The reason they had to guard the tomb was they understood that Jesus was claiming his body would be raised from the dead. And if the disciples stole the body, then that would mean Jesus' claim was true, that he was the Messiah. And so they said, we're going to do whatever we need to make sure that body is not stolen and give a false verification that Jesus is actually the Son of God. That's why the angel said to those who had come searching for the body of Jesus in Matthew 28, do not be afraid for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said, come see the place where he was lying. Why is an empty grave necessary? It verifies the truth of what the scripture said about the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Secondly, an empty grave is important because it ratifies the sufficiency of Christ's death. It ratifies the sufficiency of Christ's death. Now, let me explain what I mean. Some years ago, I remember watching an evening newscast. I think it was ABC. Remember back when everybody watched news one time a day at 5 30, you'd gather around the TV to watch the news. That's all the news you got. So everybody watched the evening news. And I think it was the late Peter Jennings, who was the anchor. And he had an interesting story. He said an archaeological discovery had found a 2,000 year old road near the temple in Jerusalem. And he said, this is a road that Jesus very well may have walked on, when he went to the temple and later when he walked to the cross. And I, I heard that story and I got this warm, fuzzy feeling inside of me, thinking, well, isn't that nice? Isn't that something? A secular newscaster affirming that Jesus really lived and was a teacher and a great person and died. I was feeling good until the next story. Right after the Jesus story, an image of Buddha appeared behind Peter Jennings, and he said, and in other news, archeologists have discovered a tooth of Buddha that is 2,500 years old. As I watched that, I suddenly understood what was going on. Secularists don't mind acknowledging that Jesus was a real person, history proves that. They don't mind acknowledging that he was a good teacher. He was. Just like Buddha, Jesus was a good teacher. They don't mind acknowledging that he died. Both Jesus and Buddha died. But here's the difference. When Buddha died, he left his teeth and bones behind. When Jesus died, he left nothing behind because he was raised from the dead just as the Bible says. Well, pastor, why do you make such a big deal about Christ's bodily resurrection? What does that have to do with me? Simply put, everything. A bodily resurrection proves that Christ has forgiven you of your sins. In Romans 4.25, Paul said, Jesus, who was delivered over because of our transgressions, was raised because of our justification. He was crucified to pay for our sins, but he was raised to prove that that payment actually went through, so to speak, that it was sufficient for our sins. Here's what I mean by that. Anybody can go around saying, oh, I'll pay for your sins. I'll pay for your sins. But how do you know if he actually accomplished it? It's the resurrection that proves that God accepted his payment. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Just imagine that our executive pastor, Ben LaVorn, uh, comes into my office tomorrow and he said, Pastor, I'm just really down. And I said, well, Ben, what's going on? He said, well, you know, we're just under a lot of financial pressure. We've got that baby coming at the end of the week. And not only that, Paris has spent too much time at Nordstrom buying all this stuff for the baby and getting ready for it. And and, and our Visa card is charged up to the maximum. I don't know what we're going to do. And I said, well, Ben, I don't want you to be under that pressure. Give me the Visa bill. I'll pay it for you. And Ben lightens up, and he says, Pastor, you're even more wonderful than I thought you were. Thank you so much for doing that. I said, no problem. A month later, Ben gets a call from Visa. Where's our money? And Ben said, oh, oh, well, my pastor, Dr. Jeffress, paid that for me. Don't you have a record of his check? And they searched the computer. Oh, yeah, we see Dr. Jeffress did send in a check. But that was to cover his Visa bill. There's nothing left over for you. You're still on your own. Now, I know that's a silly illustration, but it's an illustration of exactly what Christ did. He claimed to pay for our sins. He said on the cross, Te it is finished, paid in full. But how do we know if that payment was accepted by God? Listen to me. If Jesus, after he died, remained in the grave, then it meant he was paying for his sins, not our sins. But the fact that God raised him from the dead proves that we are justified, declared righteous by believing in the crucified and the risen Christ. That's what I mean. It is an empty grave that proves the sufficiency of Christ's payment for our sins. Thirdly, it is the resurrection, the empty tomb that clarifies the nature of eternity. The resurrection clarifies the nature of eternity. The late Dr. Tim LaHaye was a friend of mine. He was a great writer, the Left Behind series, great books on Bible prophecy. Tim says that one of the things that prevented him from becoming a Christian earlier in life was the thought that all Christianity had to offer was the promise that one day we would be some disembodied spirit floating around on a cloud plucking a harp. And Tim wasn't real interested in that but it's only when he understood what the resurrection was that he came to understand what we're gonna be like in all eternity. The Bible says we're not gonna be a disembodied spirit. We were created body, soul, and spirit. There's never been a time we haven't always been body, soul, and spirit, and there never will be a time that we exist without a body. The Bible says God made us with a body. What is that body going to be like? 1 Corinthians 15, 20 gives us a hint. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who are asleep. What in the world does that mean? Remember, this was an agricultural culture. And so they understood the concept of first fruits. Whenever the Jews would uh, participate in a harvest, once everything was harvested, a sample of that harvest would be taken as a gift to the priest. Now, it was called the first fruits, the sample. Now, the first fruits wasn't the whole harvest, it was just a sample of what was yet to come. Paul is saying Jesus' resurrection wasn't a one time event, it wasn't a one off, one and done. He was the first fruits. He was just the sample of what is coming yet in the future. There is a future resurrection for all who trust in Christ. And so if you want to know what your existence in heaven is going to be like, just look at Jesus. What happened to him after he died? He got a body. It was a perfect body. It was the prototicus, the prototype, the Bible says, of the body that you and I are going to have as well. Later in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul continues that analogy of our resurrection with a harvest. And he said, there are two things you need to know about this harvest, the spiritual harvest that's coming. First of all, the harvest is superior to the seed. In verse 37, Paul says, and that which you sow, you don't sow the body, which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something. In other words, what you plant, is inferior to what you receive at the harvest. The harvest is superior. For example, if you had a choice, which would you rather eat, an apple seed or an apple? You'd like to harvest better than what was planted, wouldn't you? It's the same way in our resurrection body. It's gonna be much better than anything we've had here on earth. No more sickness, suffering, sadness, all of that is gone. But Paul goes on to say, the harvest is similar to the seed. It's superior, but in some ways, it's uh, similar. In verse 38, Paul said, but God gives it a body just as he chooses, and to each of the seeds, a body of its own. Every seed is different. You don't plant an apple seed and harvest a kumquat. What you plant is what you get. There's some similarities between the two. That was true in Jesus' body. Even though his body was superior from what he had on earth, his disciples recognized him. There were some features that were similar. Even the way he broke bread was similar. Whether he was right-handed or left-handed, we don't know. But some things remained. What Paul is saying is that this clarifies the nature of eternity. We're going to be real people when we die I say this all the time. When we die, it's not somebody else who goes to heaven. It's we who goes to heaven. And many of the things about us will remain, our giftedness, our interests, even similar characteristics to our body. We remain individuals when we die. The resurrection of Christ clarifies the nature of eternity. Fourthly, why does an empty grave matter? Because an empty grave energizes the people of God. That writer, N.T. Wright, I mentioned a few moments ago, notes that half of the references in the Bible to running have to do with the resurrection. Did you know that? Half of the times the Bible talks about running, it's in reference to the resurrection. In Matthew 28, verses 7 and 8. An angel of the Lord said, Go quickly tell and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and you will see him. And the women left the tomb quickly, and with great fear and great joy, and they ran to report it to the disciples. The women ran from the empty tomb. The men ran to the empty tomb. But everybody was running. Why? There was a sense of urgency. There was a sense of excitement when they saw the risen Christ. And we need to have that same energy today as well. You know, I don't want to get off on a tangent. But, you know, there are so many churches today that try to appeal to people. And they say things like, now, if you're tired of being in a church that's always asking you to do something, always asking you to give something, always asking you to serve somewhere, come to our church. We won't ask you to do a thing. You can just sit and soak in the truth of God's Word and nourish one another. We'll never ask you to do anything at all. Just come and be at ease in Zion. That sounds so good, but it is so wrong. At First Baptist Dallas, we don't make any apology for asking you to do something because we are obeying the Great Commission. Jesus told us to go into all the world and make as many disciples as quickly disciples because I'm coming back again one day. And the message of the cross, the message of the resurrection ought to energize the people of God to do the one thing Christ asked us to do. And that's why we ask you to give. That's why we ask you to serve. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And we're not ashamed of the great commission. That is our commission. And a resurrection ought to energize the people of God. Finally, why is an empty grave important? An empty grave not only verifies the truth of scripture, not only ratifies the sufficiency of Christ's death for us, not only does it clarify the nature of eternity, or not only does it energize the people of God, the empty grave is important because it exemplifies the victory of God. It exemplifies the victory of God. Now, please stay with me on this. I'm asked all the time, especially after events like in Nashville a couple of weeks ago, that school shooting, why did God allow that to happen? Well, the truth is God had nothing to do with it. That's because of sin and evil that entered into the world. God's original plan for the world had no death as a part of it. No mourning, no cry, no pain. That was never a part of God's plan. The Bible says it is the usurper, Satan himself, who brought those things in the world through a willing vehicle in Adam and Eve. For by sin, death came into the world and death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans five twelve says that wasn't a part of God's plan. It is Satan, Jesus said, who is the thief, who comes to kill and steal and destroy. Now, here's what I want you to listen to. If when we die, God says, I'm gonna take your spirit to be with me, but I can't do anything about your body. I can't do anything, Satan won that victory when he brought sin into the world, but I'll bring your spirit into heaven. And not only that, I'll bring you to be with me here in heaven, but you can't remain on the earth. Satan has that. He owns that land. It's his real estate whatsoever. But just come up with me in your spirit to heaven, and we'll reside in this corner of the universe, and we'll let Satan have the world that he's claimed for himself. Do you think God's going to allow that to happen? Do you think God is going to let Satan have the final word in what happens to our bodies or what happens to the earth that he created for your eternity, not on your life? God is not going to allow Satan to have the last word on this. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is just a hint about what God is going to do one day. Hear me on this. 2 Corinthians 4 doesn't diminish the reality of our suffering Paul says, for indeed these light, momentary afflictions are producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. We do suffer. There are momentary times of affliction. For some people, it lasts an entire lifetime, but that affliction is light compared to the heaviness of the glory, the blessings that God has planned for us. The resurrection is a reminder that God is going to reclaim our bodies and recreate them. He's going to reclaim this earth, and it's going to be recreated for all eternity. One day, death will be swallowed up in victory, and then will come about the saying that is written, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? The resurrection of Jesus is just the beginning of God's process of completely reclaiming this world for himself. And that's why an empty grave matters. I think about Easter Sunday, April 8th, 1945. A godly pastor was imprisoned. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And on that Easter Sunday, Bonhoeffer preached his last message. His text was, by his stripes, we are healed. And he had not finished his sermon when the prison doors opened. One of the soldiers said, prisoner Bonhoeffer, come with us. He leaned over to a friend and he said, this is the end. But for me, it is a new beginning of life. The next morning, under the gray skies of the Flossenberg Concentration Camp, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged on the gallows. Although he is gone, his words remain with us today. This is the end, but it's also the new beginning of life for us. A.W. Tozer said, if the resurrection proves anything, it proves who won and who lost. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live again. That's why an empty grave matters. God, bless you as you accept that message for yourself. On behalf of Dr. Robert Jeffress and everyone at First Baptist Dallas, thank you for joining us today. Our hope and prayer is that the biblical truth of this message will continue to be a blessing to you as you apply it to your life. For more information about First Baptist Dallas, we invite you to visit our website, firstdallas.org. May God bless you richly today.